My name is Reagan Gilliland, and I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane. And together with my husband, Scott, we co-pastor this service called Thrive That You're In. And we're so glad you're here um, to worship with us. I just want to say something um, before I get started that I need you all to make a promise to me. Is that when I attempt to sit on this stool, um, you will not make fun of me. So, no, I got this, I think. Yeah, I'm going to wait. And that uh, when I start to breathe weird, it's because I have a huge child inside of me. So, um, We'll see how this goes. I still, I think I'm supposed to preach like a few more times this summer, but we'll decide after today if that's going to actually happen this morning. Um, So you guys, this morning, we very much have our work cut out for us. Um, It's a a doozy uh, of a sermon um, this morning. So I'm going to need you to buckle up, and I'm excited um, to share what... I've been kind of wrestling with what I've been reading about, what I've been praying about, what I've been talking with with people, and mainly, I'm excited for you to feel the burden that I've been feeling all week, and then I get to send it home with you all, and then you get to go feel it and process through it all. Um, So if this is your first Sunday here, we have been in the middle of a a sermon series going over the 12 steps, and um, if you're watching online, please don't exit out now and open a different tab, stay with us. Um, But I I have to say, and I think Scott would be in agreement and everyone else that's been preaching that um, this series, going through the 12 steps, learning about it, reading about it, talking with people has wrecked us in the most awesome way possible. And something that happened specifically this week where I felt like reading steps eight and nine is where we're at today. I really put my nose to the grindstone, and now I'm like, okay, now I'm committed. (laughs) Now I've really got to work on this. And so, yeah, we're going to look at steps eight and nine, which is some of the hardest lifting in the 12 steps, and you'll you'll know why in a little bit. Um, But before we get into the bulk of the sermon, uh, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read two scriptures, and then we're going to get into it. So let's let's pray together. God, first of all, I thank you... um, that you are this God that wants to work in so many incredible ways through people, through books, through programs like 12 Step because you have a desire for your people to be healed, to be whole. And so I would pray that um, you would be with my words, that they would be your words and not mine, that you would also calm nerves, that you would just breathe a spirit of love and encouragement to those in this room. So that they could leave from here knowing that they um, can be set on a better path. That they can um, be freed from things that tangle them up. And that you are a God that is patient and that has never-ending love and grace um, for um, his people. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to read a couple scriptures um, to start off. And both of them are going to sound very familiar to you, even if you don't know exactly where they are. Or maybe you've heard something similar to them. The whole concept is probably very familiar to you. So the first one is going to be Matthew 7, 3 through 5, which says this. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. More on that in a little bit. The next scripture is Matthew 5, 23 through 24. 
So if you were presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So the first one, talking about the speck and the log, uh, really does take me back to kind of the basis of 12 steps, and that is that if you live in denial, you can't really change. You can't really get help. And I think often so many of us are very, very good at living in denial and la-la land thinking, well, I've got it all figured out. I don't have issues. Or me and everyone else, look how bad they have it. They are so broken instead of looking at our own junk that we have to deal with. And I think if we want to get um, through this process of healing, if we want to get through this process of becoming a better version of ourselves, we have to start with stuff inside that we um, have tried so hard to keep hidden. And so whether it's a classic addiction or selfishness or ego or gossip or sarcasm, which I did not appreciate that, um, this book I was reading this week, A Hunger for Healing, said a lot about sarcasm and how harmful it is. And so this whole week I've been questioning my entire life and <laughs> thinking like, oh, I have to make amends to like every single person, like the Target cashier, people at the gas station, it's my spiritual gift, I don't know how to not be sarcastic. Um, so, you know, I had a great crisis of faith this week. Um, but thinking through, we have to kind of really look at ourselves at a really, really deep level and stop living in denial that we have it all together. The second scripture, talking about, you know, presenting an altar and then you remember something. I have to wonder, did someone's name pop into your mind? Did someone's face pop into your head? Or maybe some scenario, like, started playing in your head. They're like, oh, yeah, that is not resolved yet or that still lingers, or you're just still not at peace with it. And something about you, your heart sank, or maybe you're like, oh gosh, that wound is, is opening up again. I just clearly am not over it. If um, you can't think of anything, I'm sure you're going to think of that tonight when you're trying to fall asleep. Um, so you're welcome as you start to <laughs> process through that late tonight. Um, like I said, today is it, it, not easy. We've got a lot of stuff to work through. But let me tell you what step eight says. Step eight says this. Make a list of all persons we have harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. You notice it says make a list of all persons we have harmed. Not a few people, not, you know, the easy ones, but all people. And so as I've been, again, reading and researching and thinking about this in my own personal life and then just humanity in general, I think there's a really hard thing we have to swallow, thinking about that we have the capacity to harm people and hurt people, and that we actually have, is really hard to stomach when you think about it. When I think about, in my almost 35 years, that I have wounded people, that I have hurt people, um, that's really hard to face, and it's heartbreaking, and I think about, gosh, what if there's people walking around that still are replaying something I said to them? or replaying some scenario, or they still haven't got over it, or they have some sort of issue and baggage because I caused it. And I think, oh gosh, that's an awful feeling. Um, and so when you think about step eight, when it's going through all the stuff that you've done, that is not easy. You're really having to look long and hard and truthfully at who you are 
and look at the stuff that you have buried or more likely you've tried to bury, it's still there. That means opening the vault. It means letting secrets out. It means no longer hiding. It means really living out repentance, which we don't talk about a lot in the church. Um, Repentance in a very, very radical way. But I think it's incredibly important because I know that the God that I read about, the God that I know does not want us walking around this sense of shame and this sense of baggage and being tangled up by chains, that God wants us to have this freedom. But I wonder, like, why is this so hard? Why is this so hard? Why are we so bad at doing this? And I started thinking about a common story of prodigal son, which many of us have read, but in case, just cliff notes, um, a son basically tells his dad, you know, I wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance now. Can I have it? He takes it. He goes off, spends it on girls and drunkenness and all this horrible things, and then he comes back. But I have to wonder, like, why did he come back? Because, like, if I would have done something like that, I would have been prideful enough um, to say, well, I just I can't let them know that I messed up. So I'm just going to start a new life and not deal with this season, just pretend like this was just, you know, a blink on my life and start over, and I never have to face it. I never have to talk to other people. I'm never going to have those family and servants and my dad. They'll never interact with these new people. And I think that's what many of us do a lot. We think, well, I'll just start something new. Think about the phrase um, ghosting someone. That's very common now. Like, you don't want to call someone back. You don't want to go on a second date. You don't want to do that. Just ghost them, right? Like, don't deal with it. Um, I think about how often the block uh, or unfriend on, you know, social media is or decline on your phone. Like, that's so easy, right? Like, well, I don't have to deal with that and just decline. And I think that's what we do in our lives. Um, We don't want to face what we've done. And so it's very, very easy to say, well, that was then. This is now. I can't change the past. I'll just do better in the future. I'll just do better, which is a good start, but I think we have to go back. Again, I think God calls us um, to live a life that has incredible freedom and no baggage and no shame and that you can live this truthful life knowing that you don't have these hidden things, that you don't have this past that's dragging you down. And so for a while, I think you're going to feel, if you start this process, you're going to feel like you're backtracking. You're going to feel like, oh gosh, I'm going back to square one. I don't want to go back there. But I think we have to. And many of us think, well, I don't know if I've really done that much, Reagan. I really don't think I've harmed people. That's a pretty strong phrase, like I've harmed people. But I think about that um, scene in Billy Madison. I think I mentioned that when we, Scott and I co-preached. Do you all know, I know that movie is like 30 years old now, so it's really relevant. But the scene when Billy Madison calls that, what's the guy's name, Stephen? The really ugly guy. I know that's not nice. Thanks. It's not nice. Sorry. It's not Christ. Like, sorry. Um, he calls him and he's, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I'm really sorry about the way I treated you in high school. And, you know, I just wanted to say maybe we could get together. And, you know, he's like, yeah, that's okay. Don't worry about it. It's, it's great. He's like, okay. And they hang up. And then he turns to the list on his wall. You know, it says people to kill. And then he crosses Billy Madison off the list. And we laugh about that, and hopefully your name is not on someone's list somewhere out in the world. But I think it it reminds me that making amends, saying sorry, trying to do better to um, to change, not necessarily change the past, but deal with it, um, can happen in big ways and small ways. Because all of us, every single one of us could have done better in some scenario. 
All of us could have done better in some relationship. All of us could have done better um, in writing a certain email or having some certain conversation. All of us could have done better. And I say this all the time, but it's never too late um, to say sorry. It's never too late to try to do better, to make amends, to um, own up to what you've done. Now, in traditional 12 steps, uh, I've been told uh, by people that have gone through it, when you start making your list, it's so exhaustive. Like, it is so long, and there's so many things. There's so many people because they know that there's no part of their lives that was not impacted by addiction. They know that. And I know there's no, um, for us, we think, well, I don't know. Again, I haven't harmed a lot of people. It's not, not that big of a deal. But, again, I, I was reading so much scripture this week in Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible on your end, live in peace with one another. And I think about how it's just so important to be authentic and real with so many people and to deal with your stuff and to say, yeah, I messed up and this is how I'm going to do better. It's so important to try um, to be an example, try to be Christ-like to people. And so I encourage you um, to start making your list. I will say a bit of advice. Don't do it in a public place like I tried this week. Um, I started it. And then I said, well, I do want to come back to this establishment again. I want to be able to show my face, so I'm going to quit now, and I'll do it at home in private. But I think it's important to start making lists, and then, um, then you can start approaching people. But as you go into it, here's some important things that we need to know. Is you're going to have a list of things that you've done. Um, probably in your head right now, you know, there are some things that I could have done better, things that I know I need to change. Um, but when it comes to people... Um, you're going to have your list, but you also don't get to tell people what harmed them. That's a really important thing um, to know because um, people are entitled um, to feel hurt and to, wound, to feel wounded, and you can't tell them, well, no, that didn't bother you. That was that big mistake. You've, I don't know if you've ever had someone tell you that, but it's like really, really painful when it's like, it's not that big of a deal that didn't hurt you. And you're like, yeah, it did. I'm telling you that hurt me. So you have to go into it knowing that they may say things that you haven't thought of, and they have a right to say that, and it's not petty, it's not little. And maybe things that you think that's not that hurtful does hurt them, and things that doesn't hurt them hurt you. So you have to go into this knowing that you don't get to decide everything. You also have to go into knowing um, that you don't get to make excuses, you don't get to justify anything. I think it's very easy to do that. We teach this a lot in premarital. Like, when you apologize, you don't get to say, yeah, 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 but, like, no, that's not an apology. <laughs> like, own it <laughs> and know that you messed up. Because I think there's something about owning and saying, yeah, that, I did do that. Yeah, I, I was not the best person I was. And this is, I want to get rid of that person. I want to let go of that person. I want to become and live into this new creation that God is calling me. I want to become this new creation in Christ. And so by saying it and being honest about what you did, it's going to allow you to have that freedom. It's going to be allow you to live into that person that you're trying to be. A couple of things that people told me when I was asking for stories this week from those that have been in recovery. One said, you know, it's really important that you don't just say, I'm sorry, but you say, I was wrong. I was wrong, and here's why. Uh, another one said, it's really important to literally say, I know that I harmed you. Again, it's, it's, been, it's again being very, very truthful, being very, very real, and recognizing the gravity of what, you, uh, what you've done and who you've been. And because it's important to say those things is because often in addiction and saying sorry, that you probably have said sorry a million times and then never really lived into it. 
And so it's important to say you're sorry and then have a plan and say, this is what I'm going to do from now on to make sure I'm living better. Now, before I keep going, I know many of you are, again, thinking, well, this is a lot. I think this is really just for addicts. It really is for everyone. In in this book, A Hunger for Healing, he talks about um, how it's good to maybe keep a booklet and kind of keep track of things that maybe you've done wrong or keep track of, um, gosh, I feel like I said something and then the person just changed, their body language changed. Okay, write down what did you say right before that happened? Or maybe you've got um, kind of, uh, you're dealing with, like for me personally, this is me sharing. <laughs> I want to try to be more positive. I feel like I've been really, really negative. And so if I kept track of how negative I was, like just a tally mark even, I could go back and say, oh gosh, I am really living this negative life. How can I do better? And so if you're struggling with thinking, like, I don't know if I really have issues. I don't know if I really need to make amends. I don't know if I need to make a change. Think about if you've had the same fight with someone, if there's a season, if there's a time that just conflict comes up, what is going on? Like, write down how are you feeling? How are you dealing with it? And so you can start to see, oh, I, need, I do need to make some changes. But I think you have to be ready um, to face all this head on. Because, again, you're doing really, really, really deep work. You're really looking at what is flawed in you, and no one likes to do that. But I think it's really, really important. Um, in this book, I'm going to read one quote. After, you make, after you've made the list, I love what this author says, J. Keith Miller. Finally, when we have looked at our list and lived with the feelings we had about what we did and what was done to us, we can become ready to do what we have to do to let go of the pain. We're told that what we have to do is to be willing to make amends to them all. Strangely enough, this simple process allows us to begin to get rid of those old movies about painful events that we have played and replayed in our minds, triggering past pain and resentment again and again, or at least learn to turn down the soundtrack. The reason I think this is so vital is because I think there's so much in us that really weighs us down. And think of when Christ talks about how um, leaders are, a lot of them are whitewashed tombs. And I think that's how many of us probably live. Meaning like, we look so good on the outside. We're doing everything to look put together. But inside, we're hurting, we're decaying. There's all this junk because we haven't dealt with it. We're not willing to make those lists. We're not willing to go back and examine who we've been and what we've done or maybe what we're still struggling with. And I think all of us want to be authentic and real, and we want to be these whole and healed people. And so I think we have to go back and deal with things first. And so step nine, after you've made all those lists, I do have to say, step eight and nine takes years often to get to. Uh, One member shared, um, yeah, you can take years to get to that, and sometimes you spend years just in, in step eight and nine because you have so much work to get through. And how important it is to often work with a sponsor, someone to help you go through the list of what you need to do. But step nine is the really, really hard part. It is make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So step nine is the actual going to the people. Face-to-face, calling, writing, and saying all the stuff that you've written down. Can you imagine what that's like? going face to face. 
And whatever you do, don't be like uh, this one person shared in this, in this book. Um, this author was sharing about, okay, when you go to people, you know, you, you have to say what you've, what you've harmed them with and, and open it up. And this one guy came back and said, yeah, I did that in my family. Brought up the most petty and picky things. And the guy's like, well, you missed the point. Um, <laughs> you have to be able to listen to everything. Um, so don't be like that guy. But right now, I, I thought what would be helpful is I, I've never gone through this process, but we have a lot of members that have gone through this process, and they were so gracious to share some stories. And so I'm going to share some stories um, from our congregation of their thoughts on this. So I had one member share a few different ser- scenarios. Um, he tried to contact an ex that he had a really bad relationship with. So he went through a chain of people um, trying to get in contact with that person and then finally got word back that the ex didn't want to have anything to do, didn't want to hear him out, which is part of the risk that you're going to extend something. You're going to try to apologize, and they don't want to hear it. They don't want to meet with you, but it's still an important process. You're still offering that olive branch. You're still, in your mind, acknowledging what you've done and making a promise to not do it. Another example this same member talked about, he's like, you know, I really wanted to make amends with my mom for getting high in her house, but his mom had passed on. So what do you do with that? He said, you know, I really want to, but I promise now that I don't get high in anyone's house. I promise not to do anything that was harmful that I did in her house. I promise never to do that to anyone. He also shared that he wasn't sober at the birth of his, his first niece, but his amends is to make it to all her birthday parties and to be as present as he can at all of her events and to visit as often as possible. He can't change what he did, but he promises to be better in the future. And he said, you know, it's really important when you go and you make amends to people, you say everything you need to. You say everything. You, <laughs> you don't leave any stone un- unturned. But after you do that, he said, it's really important that you say, is there anything else that I did? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine opening yourself up to hear maybe more? I mean, people could like unload on you and they're just ready to take it. That it takes incredible vulnerability and courage to listen to all of that. I mean, learning about what what people do when they go through the 12 steps. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm kind of speechless about what they do and the work that they do. Here's another story. I was one of those described in the big book as thinking I had harmed myself, but only a few others. But with the guidance of a sponsor in the 12 steps, I came to understand that the harm included more than overt actions, but also to those who had worried about us, including family and employers. In addition, my perception of lack of harm to others in reality were incorrect. My example is that since I feared making amends, I thought I would start with my older brother, who I didn't see often, and I didn't think I'd harmed him much, so it would be relatively easy. Easy. He lived in another city, so when I was there, I took him to lunch and told him I was in AA, and part of our program was to make amends. I told him that for my actions that hurt him, I was wrong, and I wanted to make amends. Expecting him to say, no big deal, I was shocked when he responded. It was about time. We talked, and after that, our relationship continues to improve. 
another story. My sponsor asked me to make a list of the persons I have harmed, which was difficult because I had to face all my character defects. During my drinking days, I would isolate, lash out at friends and family, and even broke the law. There's no way of knowing exactly how many people I hurt through the, my insensitivity and, and alcohol blackouts, but I made a committed effort. Drafting the list brought to light resentment, self-destructive thoughts and emotions, and shame about my past behavior. I used to avoid those feelings with alcohol, and now I had to face the music. Upon completing the list, I reflected upon each person and prayed for guidance. Then I divided the list in three buckets to determine when and how to make how to make contact. Her three buckets were direct amends, taking personal responsibility for my actions and confronting the person. Indirect amends, finding ways to repair damage that cannot be reserved by doing things like volunteering and helping others, or be reversed by doing things like volunteering and helping others. Living amends, showing to others as well as myself that I made a genuine lifestyle change and a commitment to discard my previous selfish and destructive behaviors. She goes on to say, one of my living amends was to her boss's boss. He's the one who told me to get help or I was fired. He discovered my problem when I decided to be drunk during my work performance evaluation via phone. <laughs> I, probably not good. But I passed out during the call and they had to call hotel security to make sure I was okay and get me on the plane back home. In the beginning, I just love this story. In the beginning, I would give him one of my sobriety coins. And each year on my sobriety birthday, I send him an email to express my gratitude for taking a chance on me. The stats show that only less than 10% of people remained sober by one year. He was well aware of the challenges of maintaining sobriety and the path of least resistance was to let me go. He believed in me and I will never forget what a blessing that is. So these examples kind of show that sometimes you really get to, um, you do get to make amends. You really do get to make a change. People get to hear from you, and sometimes not. But I think all of them would say it's so worth it. It's the one thing that really helped me. And so in closing, um, I want to say this. I love being a Methodist, even in today, <laughs> today's uh, climate. And one thing I love about being a Methodist is our, our three general rules to do no harm, to do good, and attend upon all ordinances of God. And when I think about those three rules, it's amazing that if we follow them, there's this ripple effect. That when we really do our best not to hurt or harm people, that we're living into the commandment of love your neighbor. When uh, we do good, we are fighting for justice for people. We are listening to Jesus. And when we attend upon all the ordinance of God, we are people that are grateful, we're forgiving, and that we live a life of truth. This is very hard work. It's very hard work to look at who you are and what you've done and to admit that you're this broken person. But I, I went back to that, math, that first Matthew passage about the log and the speck, and I was thinking about how often we don't even look at people eye to eye anymore, especially when we're talking about hard stuff. And I was thinking about what if we saw people, we saw that speck, we saw that log, whatever, and instead of going to judgment, 
we actually acknowledge, oh, you're broken just like I am. You have junk just like me. And instead of saying, wow, you need to work on that, you're so messed up, that you say, hey, can we work on this together? Can we both help each other get the log out of our eyes? So we, we be, can become more like Christ, so we can become the people that God, God has called us to do. And I think that's really, really important that we could help one another if we could be honest and open about everything. And so this week I, I thought about, man, I want to be people of the gospel. I want to be people that reflect the general rules, and I want to be people that reflect the 12 steps because I think those combination of all of that really does look like what Christ has called us to be. And so I pray today as we go home that we think about um, making some real changes and making a list. It's going to be hard, but I think it's very much worthwhile. Um, I know for me that I've got a lot of work to do and denial has been really fun to live in for a long time. But I think it's time that, uh, that I wake up. And so with that, let me pray as we close. God, we know that we are not perfect people. It seems to become abundantly clear every day. And so I pray that as we process through these 12 steps as we read the gospel as we look at the general rules that we would be compelled and moved um, to let go to work through that junk that we said it's just too painful to go back to it's too hard that we would say no I need to I must my life depends on it I pray that as we work through this that we um, would feel the weight start to be lifted off, that we would start to feel freedom, that we would feel more like ourselves, that we would become more joyful, more giving, that we would just get to live in freedom. God, I'm thankful that you are a God that doesn't abandon, a God that wants so badly for his children to live this abundant life. So would you bring things or bring people into our lives to awaken us? Would you be tender? Would you be comforting? Would you be encouraging as we do this hard work you've called us to do? We love you and we thank you for not giving up on us. In your name we pray. Amen.